This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actual tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that started selling direct to consumer and wholesale, but then transitioned to wholesale only. In this episode, you'll learn why you might want to be careful about starting a business around a passion, why it's dangerous to stock products that you would buy, and how to do market research to find out what other people would buy, and what marketing challenges you'll face when transitioning to a wholesale-only business. Today, I'm joined by Andre Van Ard from RushSports.co.za. Rush Sports is a distributor of high-quality cycling brands. It was started in 2008 and based out of Peter Maritzburg, South Africa. Welcome, Andre. Hey, Felix, nice to join you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit more about your story. What are some of the most popular products that you sell? Well, Rush Sports was started um, a number of years ago with the focus of selling predominantly high-end niche bicycle brands. Um, We started with a wide range of accessories, which we were sourcing from all over the world. And as the business has matured and and grown over the years and we've learned a little bit more about our market and tried to find a more sustainable product basket, we've landed up focusing more predominantly on consumable parts, still within the bicycle trade, but we offer a wide range of aftermarket accessories and consumables for bicycles. So everything from tires and tubes to brake pads to the bearings and nuts and bolts that keep everything together. Mm-hmm. And how did you get into this, this industry? Like, what were you doing before opening up Rush Sports that, that got you involved in this? Cycling for me has always been uh, a bit of a passion. And I, I cringe when I say that because I think it, it can be quite dangerous mixing business with, with your passion. But, you know, the, the sport has been very much a passion of mine. And business is one of my keen interests. So combining the two just seemed like a a logical move out of college. And at the time, I was very invested in racing semi-professionally. As a result of that, I had quite a few contacts in the bicycle industry. And that helped me get my start in getting the business up and running and, and getting things going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said something really interesting there about how um, you find it dangerous to mix business with passion. And I think I know what you're saying about how, you know, let's say you're really interested in a specific hobby and you get really into it and all of a sudden you get, get paid for it and then all of a sudden your kind of motivation changes and it, it can affect your passion for it. Is that what you mean? Or like, what do you mean exactly by how you think that it's dangerous to do that? Because I see, I can see what you're saying, but then there's also the other folks that say, yeah, you have to, if you want to do something, you want to pursue something, you want to open a business, make sure it's something that you're passionate in. So can you, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah. So certainly you want to be involved in a business that you're passionate about, but I think it's important for your passion to be about the business rather than about the product or the service that you're providing. Otherwise, I, I just find particularly it's particularly prevalent in the industry like ours where a lot of cycling enthusiasts think, oh, you know, it'll, it'll be great to open a bike shop or a wholesaler or something in the trade. And they land up running a hobby rather than running a business you know so they they're really doing just enough to kind of tick over and pay the bills and they're not focused on the the true core which is running a serious business i see i I think that's really been my approach is i fully invested in something that i love and something that's a passion of mine but i i don't let that impact the fact that at the end of the day, I'm running a business and I need to take things seriously. 
Right, that makes a lot of sense because sometimes we might think that uh, you just because you are good at a particular hobby or a particular interest does not mean that you would be a good business person in that particular industry. So, can you uh, explain maybe or give some examples of or something that that you are that makes you, I guess, passionate about running a business in this industry? Like, what specifically about it was uh, was I guess um, attractive to you? I think for me. One of the big attractions was that it's not it's not very regulated by rules and a suit and tie, and there's no major constraints in the industry itself. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're selling health and fitness products. We we're able to have flexibility within that. You know, I, I don't need to come to the office every day in a suit and tie. Um, I certainly need to come to the office on time, but I, I'm able to just be surrounded by people who have a, a similar thought process to mine and a similar take on life. You know, we all love the out, outdoors. We love being active and, and fit and healthy. And I find doing business with people with that same mentality is really quite rewarding. Right. So you, it sounds like you've had experience working in other industries or maybe jobs that were more restrictive than what you have now. Is that was is that is that true? Like you know, were you did you have experience maybe starting other businesses in other industries or working in jobs in other industries that that you just really didn't like the environment? No, to be honest, pretty much right out of college. This has been something that I've entrenched myself in. But if, if I look at my, my peers and my friends and college mates, a lot of them have studied very hard to land up with this huge amount of knowledge and they're actually not able to fully leverage their capability because of the confines within their job, you know, whether they're in finance or corporate world, there's a lot of restrictions, whereas I think, and perhaps it's not necessarily my industry, perhaps it also comes down to being more of an entrepreneur, I've always been able to invest myself in things that I'm passionate about and, and things that I love. You know, it's not necessarily cycling and bicycles, I, I really enjoy technology and um, e-commerce systems and I've, I've entrenched myself and surrounded myself with all of the aspects that I, that I love and that I'm genuinely interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So you knew that you wanted to start a business and you knew that you had this passion for this particular hobby. You had the connections already because of your, your involvement in the community and in the industry. So once you made that decision to, let's say, op- to say, to say to yourself that you want to open up a, a store, what was the first step? Like, you know, you had all these connections and everything. Like, how did you start, I guess, um, the process of using those connections? I was involved in a another business at, at the time before I started Rush Sports and the owner of that business and myself decided that it, it would be a good idea to generate the small startup. It would benefit both businesses as the, the other business and the original business is also in the cycling industry. And we really just went about and registered the business. It's a reasonably simple process here in South Africa to register a business and begin trading. And from there, we just set up distribution agreements with the various contacts that we had. So we had a firm agreement in place that protected both us and our suppliers, which just put some some details into responsibilities for both us and them and what was expected and obviously gave us a bit of security in that we were we had always set out to sell brands and products that we had exclusive rights to within our territory so within South Africa and with a few small agreements in the beginning we we started with about half a dozen different brands which we had sourced through those contacts that I mentioned. 
and the rest of it just grew on from there. Mm-hmm. So you were saying that you uh, had another business already at the time when you decided to start Rush Sports. And I think this is a common situation for a lot of the listeners, whether that means that they're uh, starting a business when they're already running a business or they're maybe working a full-time job and starting a business. How did you find the time? How did you? How were you able to manage like your energy, your time to make sure that you had enough to grow or focus on both of these businesses? I wasn't a owner or, or director in the in the business prior to this. I I was a full time employee, so I was essentially working a nine to five before I started Rush Sports. And much with any business that you start, obviously the the energy and time that you put into it doesn't give you an equal or immediate return. So there were certainly two or three years right in the beginning where I was working a regular day job, nine to five. And, you know, for, for the rest of, of the day and certainly late into the night and early into the mornings on, on regular occasions, I was working on rush sports and, you know, small things that at the time I was answering emails and setting up meetings and trying to get our product out into the market. And I, I think perhaps I was fortunate in that I had the the stable income and the security of that day job, but I knew that unless I put as much effort and time and energy into rush sports, it was never going to be anything more than a hobby. And um, I think it was certainly trying to take it seriously, and this is exactly what we were talking about in the beginning, is focusing the energy and effort into it right in those first years is what built the foundation that we are now building up on. Yeah, and you know, like you're saying with a day job, if you show up, you get paid, right? If you come in, you do the work, it doesn't even have to be super amazing, you get paid. And what you're saying, I think, resonates a lot with any entrepreneur out there is that the first couple of years, first few years, the amount of work you put in is not going to output, at least immediately, the kind of, uh, you won't be able to reap the benefits immediately from it. So during that period of time, you know, it sounds like you're doing this for a couple of years where you weren't getting this immediate return. Like, how did you, I guess, keep on going? How did you keep motivating yourself? And did you ever consider, you know, giving up and just going back and focusing on something easier? Of course you have, um, you have good days and you have bad days. But I think what I was striving for right from day one was to have 100% control over my own destiny. And the only way you can really do that is to be a business owner or to be an entrepreneur. You know, sure, you may get a curveball here and there and go through difficult times and, and it will have its ups and downs, but you are at the driving seat behind the steering wheel and you're in a far better position to control the direction of where you go. And as I say, even though it doesn't start out immediately where your what you get out is what you put in, provided you, you spend those days and weeks and months and possibly years, depending on the growth rate of your business, at some point, you are going to be getting rewarded for the effort and energy that you put in. I think that the difficulty is just at at what point do you make the transition? You know, there, there was a very difficult point for me where I had to say to myself, okay, well, the day job needs to go and Rush Sports needs my full attention. Um, and that, I think, is is possibly one of the, the biggest and most difficult decisions for people in my position. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a common issue that comes up where you are at a point where you know, you've been working at this maybe for a year or so, part-time, either on nights and weekends, and you just feel the not just necessarily the, the, the amount of work is wearing on you, but 
you you just your your brain your your kind of focus is split between multiple things, and because when that does happen, it just really slows down your pro your progress, and you recognize that, and you want to kind of break through that that uh, bottleneck of this day job or this other business. So when you made that, well, talk to us, talk to us about that decision that, that you made. Like when when did you decide to you know quote unquote take it seriously? You started this in 2008. When did you decide to say, let's go into this full time? And you just walk us through that decision-making process. I would say for me, it happened reasonably quickly. You know, I, at the time, I was, um, I was very young. I didn't have many overheads. I didn't have any financial dependence on me. So I, I was able to make, make the transition and, and the jump across quite early. It, by 2009, I had left my, my day job and I was running Rush Sports full-time and, and giving it my full attention. And I, I, can't, I can't say there was any one moment where I decided, okay, I need to, I need to cut the day job and, and because full-time rush sports, it, for me, it seemed more like a natural transition rather than um, a forced move. It, it just seemed as though it was the next step. Um, mm. it's, it's quite difficult. There, there wasn't really one thing that stood out for me and said, you have to do one or the other. It, it was just a natural step. If I want to get ahead in one, I need to just make this move. Right, that makes sense. So when when you when you um, when you went full time, like what, what did you feel like you gained uh, from going full time that you couldn't uh, do or you couldn't? Um, I guess you couldn't do. I guess when you were doing it just part time. Well, I think right from the start it removes the safety net that you have beneath you. So all of a sudden it's, it's kind of sink or swim. Um, and you have to make it work. You know, previously if I arrived at my nine to five and worked a full week or a full month, I would get a paycheck at the end of the month. And when I went full time with rush sports, that wasn't a guarantee. And I think that can either really motivate people or scare them off. Yeah. And I guess that's, that small fact is probably one of the biggest differences between people who can make it work and do and people who can't is that pressure is exactly the same today as it was you know, six or seven years ago when, when I decided to take it full time is I still have to wake up every day and know that it's up to me whether I can pay my bills at the end of the month. It's not up to whether I just arrive at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I need to make it work. Right. And I want to, I want to talk about this a little more because I think, you know, earlier on in the, the podcast, we were talking a little bit about how because you had that day job, you had that stability. And I think that that's, it sounded like it was an advantage for you. Uh, but then, you know, obviously there's the other side of the coin, which is that when you don't have a safety net, you're forced to make it work. If you had to choose one or the other, you know, I guess you chose the the path where you removed that safety net and then had to make it work. But is there, you know, pros and cons to choosing one or the other, the stability while you're building it out versus the kind of you got to make it work because there is no safety net approach to to starting a, a business? I, I think that depends on the person and their ambitions. Um, you, you know, whether those ambitions are materialistic or whether they're aspirations to, to do great things. I, I think you're either going to err on the side of, of security and, and dependability, or you're going to be self-reliant and go in the opposite direction. I, I would like to think that the, the day job for me was more of a necessary step to get to where I am now, rather than a, it, it was never gonna be a full-time thing for me. It, it, 
I'd never wanted to make a career out of working for somebody else. Um, right from when I was still in, in junior school, I, I knew that I would be the person responsible for my destiny and, and that's really what I set out to achieve. So the, the day job for me was just part of the, the process in getting to where I am now. Mm-hmm. I like that idea of just a step along the way and not having to think about you know having this day job just be something that you know lasts your entire life. And what you're saying about how you really wanted couldn't make a career out of work for somebody else, you know, reminds you of a really good quote that I that I hear over or pretty often, which is that you either you know work on your own dreams or someone hires you to work on theirs. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind is that. By default, you're going to end up working on someone else's dream unless you're going out there pursuing your own. Um, so, you know, want to talk about um, actually running the business. So, when you were first starting out in this, were there a lot of other competitors that were already in the space doing what you guys uh, wanted to do? A- absolutely. Um, the industry is quite well established here in South Africa. We started from day one with competitors that were far more established than we were, um, that had far greater capital at their disposal and had invested, you know, decades in establishing their business. So we had quite a big challenge right from day one. Um, But at the same time, being small and new, you aren't slowed down by this huge behemoth of a business. You know, we we weren't left with old product that wasn't fashionable or in demand anymore. We were a young, dynamic and motivated team from day one. At day one and year one, by team, it was just me, but that hasn't ever changed for us. You know, if I, if I fast forward to now, we, we still very much believe and, and go out to achieve the same thing. So there were a heck of a lot of competitors out there when, when we started our business. Right. So you were nimble, right? You're much more nimble than the, the, the big uh, competitors that were already entrenched, already in the space, that already had all this, like you're saying, all of this um, inventory that nobody wants anymore. They, you weren't weighed down by that. So is, can you maybe give some examples of how you use this nimbleness to start chipping away and, and start chipping away at the competitors and start build, getting your own a share of the market? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think whenever you start a new business, you come to it with fresh ideas and a fresh approach. And that was probably what set us apart from our competitors from day one is for the last 20, 30, 40 years, they had been following a method and a process that had worked for them from when they started their business. And I don't believe they spent much time questioning why they did things the way they, or why they still do things the way they do or why they sell what they do. It, it was just something that they've done and they, they continue to do it. And I think perhaps younger people and, and kids these days that are coming out of high school and college think about things in a very different way. You know, we, we move far quicker in, in our minds. We, got the internet at our disposal to figure out new, more efficient ways to do things. And we've just got this huge database of of knowledge and experience at our disposal, even if we don't have it ourselves. And I I think when, when I started, I didn't have huge capital to invest in my business, but I invested a huge amount of knowledge and wherever I could get knowledge or experience or examples of different processes, I tried to apply those to our business. So I came into the trade with 
absolutely no preconceptions of how I wanted to do things and built the systems and the structure of the business as well as the products that we sell purely out of necessity. So, you know, if, if I can highlight systems as an example, we today have systems in place in our business that businesses that are 10, 15, 20 times our size probably don't have. And we implemented those purely out of necessity. When I started Rush Sports, I was one person. So to answer phones and emails and visit clients and still have time to pick and pack and process orders was a huge challenge. Um, so investing in technology and systems that could help streamline those processes was absolutely imperative to me then. And as the business has scaled and grown, that importance and that focus has remained intact. So as a result of that, we've been able to build a business that's far leaner, far more nimble than all of our competitors, but still able to deliver outstanding service, which a lot of our competitors that are far bigger than us and have a far larger staff complement aren't able to match. And it's simply because we, we're letting technology work to our advantage. And I, I don't think that our competitors have any inclination to do that. Um, they've, they've almost had a monopoly for, for so long and it's not to say that what they're doing is wrong. I, I just think it's, it's a pure reflection on how much business has changed in, in this technology era we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. You build things out of necessity, and I think that as uh, a new business or new entrepreneur, we tend to want to uh, almost go the safer route, which is to copy existing frameworks that already work. Because we look at you know these big brands that build successful businesses, we see that they're successful, so we think that if we you know, not necessarily copy their framework, but, but let's take bits and pieces from it. We can be as successful as them. And I think there is some merit to that to to look at what is already has already worked and try to 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 replicate those pieces in our business. So did you recognize anything in the industry that that were that was kind of um, almost like table stakes or things that needed to be done or not necessarily needed to be done, but that were already being done that you figured that it would be a good thing to copy as well, or did you just kind of start from scratch and do everything like brand new? I tried as far as possible to look at every industry. So I, I think the mistake a lot of people make is, like you say, you know, you, you need to learn from businesses and people that surround you and certainly from businesses that have succeeded. But I don't think it's, it, it does you justice to focus squarely on your industry or your niche. So for me, I, I cast my net extremely wide and I tried to learn from as many different businesses as I could and where things could be applied to our business to offer improvements or add value. I, I tried as best as possible to learn those procedures or learn about those technologies and then build them into our business. And I think that's where we, again, set ourselves apart from a lot of our competitors is in, in our industry, we, well, as any wholesaler, you're selling volume product to typically customers who are repeat customers to your business. So instead of selling one item, you're selling a thousand, but instead of selling one item to a thousand people, you're selling a thousand items to a dozen or two dozen people. Um, and when I was taking a look at what our competitors do, I immediately picked up that our competitors are lacking customer service and interaction with their customers. They're not giving them 
uh, retail experience. Mm -hmm. They're just giving them a value experience. So their competitive advantage was to offer the same product as their competition at a lower price. Mm. And that's, that for me was, was a big red flag. Right. Now, I like the, what you're saying about how you have to look outside your industry because if you spend too much time just looking at the successful businesses in your own industry, you get really stuck in this echo chamber where everyone's kind of doing the same thing. And if the goal, which I think it should be, is to differentiate, you're not going to be able to differentiate as much or at least not get as many ideas on how to differentiate if you're just looking at a sample size of your own industry. But if you look outside of it, I think that just because of people with different experiences starting the starting these businesses in other industries, they would just have ideas that your industry has never uh, you know considered implementing. And I think that's a great rich source of um, uh, I guess a resource to to tap into if you're thinking about ways to to differentiate yourself. I was going to ask you know so how did you how were you able to determine which products you wanted to uh, I guess go after to to source exclusively? I think the the way we evaluate products now is very different to the way I evaluated products when when I started. So one of the biggest mistakes I made when I started is I would evaluate products based on my desire as a consumer to purchase those products. And what landed up happening is I, I built a product portfolio that was all products that that I idolized and that I aspired to own or, or buy, but that's, I'm one person in, in a country of, you know, 50 million. You need to, again, not put shutters on them and actually do some market research. And that was certainly one of the biggest mistakes I made in the first few years was that I... I was selecting products based on my own selfish interest for those products. Whereas our evaluation process now is boiled down to three key points. We, we're a wholesaler, so we're looking to sell in volume. We want to have a product that has a competitive advantage. So we are out looking for products that are the best within their category. And because we're a young dynamic company and in this age of social media, we're also looking for products that have some engagement with consumers. So it, it makes it far easier to build out a marketing program around those products. So those are the three key points we look for. Um, volume, being the leader in their in their market segment and then having good engagement. Mm. Yeah, that mistake that you said that you made about selecting a product, I think, is a, a very similar kind of uh, trap to fall into because a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, especially when they're starting e-commerce businesses, they will. Uh, build a business around them as if they were the consumer, right? It, like they think about, you know, I'm really interested in, in cycling, so I'm going to start a, a cycling business and then follow the same kind of path that you follow, which is uh, make decisions based on on what they would want if they were the customer. But then you realize that that was a mistake because, again, you're a sample size of just one person and you decide to do some market research for it. Can you talk to us about how you what what kind of market research you did and how that was able to kind of steer the ship or I guess um, steer the ship back onto the right path? Yeah, I think for for me that the market research came day by day. So at the time I was doing a lot of the in-store selling myself. So I was spending time in bike shops selling my products and I I did then and I still do now whenever I'm in a, in a bike store is pay attention to what's selling. Ask my customers what they're looking for, what they're struggling to find and ask them what they are being asked for. You know, what are their customers requesting? Um, and that aspect of it is quite difficult because there's, there's this wall of separation between me and 
the end user that's buying my product. You know, we, we've got this retail store in between. So we supply the retail stores and the retail stores supply the consumers. So it was quite difficult initially to plug directly into that. But I think by getting out and completely immersing yourself in the market is exactly what you need to do to learn about your customers and not only what products they're looking for, but what experience they're looking for. So, you know, these days we're so spoiled with the experience we get around products. You know, if you buy a new iPhone, there's, there's the whole buying experience around that, whether it's going into the iStore to get it or getting it from your mobile provider, you, you've got this great box that you open and there's, there's packaging and every sort of step of the way contributes towards that buying experience. Um, and that for me was also part of the thing that I learned while doing that, that market research. And, and the only way you will learn that is by spending time just completely delving into wherever or whoever your customer is. You want to be where they are all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in case the you know listeners out there, if you guys have missed it uh, or maybe haven't caught on yet, the you know Rush Sports is predominantly a, a wholesaler, right? Because you initially uh, built a. You're telling me before the podcast that you built initially built a dual channel business selling both to end users and also retail customers, like your wholesale business. But then you transitioned away from selling direct to consumers. Um, can you talk to us about how you made that decision? Yeah, this is a this is a funny transition because most of our competitors, both locally and abroad, are going in the opposite direction. Exactly. Historically, particularly in, in the bike industry, wholesalers who sell retail are almost shunned out of the the industry it's it's taboo you know it's it's not right to be selling to your customers customers for us we when when i started rush sports it was again a business choice that came out of necessity so in order to get scale at the time we didn't have good um, representation in the retail stores so we were constantly at events, reaching out to consumers. And as a result, we landed up selling to those consumers. And, and that seemed like a natural thing and it, it developed. But as our business matured and as we grew as a business, we got to a point where we had to make a decision either way. So we either needed to decide we're going to be taken seriously as a wholesaler and are going to cut off our direct channel completely, or we're going to sell direct and cut off our supply to retail stores. And right around the time we were making that decision was when e-commerce was starting to explode in South Africa. We, We have been a little bit behind the curve of this huge e-commerce development. So, when I say we, South Africa as a whole was was behind that curve a little bit. Um, so we were faced with with quite a difficult decision in our in our business, based on the fact that there was a lot of pressure for us both internally and externally to make a decision to focus on one over the other. And for me, at the time. It, it was quite clear that it would serve us better to focus on the wholesale business but use the lessons that we had learned in selling directly to consumers because your, your transaction is completely different and your customer expectation is completely different. Um, and that, again, is one of the things that sets us apart today is our focus on giving a or our wholesale customers the same 
purchase experience as a end user expects and and gets when when buying online. Yeah, this is definitely something that's not talked about much, which is how you should be treating your wholesale customers. And I thought that was really interesting when you were telling me before the podcast that you guys really focus on treating your wholesale customers like uh, most other businesses treat their direct-to-consumer customers. So can you give us some examples of how you've able to take what you've learned, take what you've done well with uh, direct-to-consumer and apply that to your relationships with your wholesale customers? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the first thing that you get accustomed to when you're selling directly to consumers is your average transaction value is far lower, but your number of transactions are far higher. So we landed up developing a business that was able to process a a huge number of orders on a daily basis. And when I say process, because we warehouse all of our products ourselves, I I literally mean receive the order, get a pick ticket, print, pick, pack, and dispatch the goods. So that was the first step for us is when we transitioned from dual channel and focused on wholesale, we all of a sudden had this capacity to ship out a far greater number of orders than we had expected because we were accustomed to shipping 100 packages a day. Sure, at a lower transaction value, but whether you're sending a box with $100 worth of product or $5,000 worth of product, the work that goes into processing that order is it, it's not uh, an exact ratio of one to one. You know, the time taken to process a hundred dollar order is pretty close to the time that's required to process a five thousand dollar order. So we freed up this huge amount of capacity. And when we did that, we had time on our hands where we were able to plug in other aspects of that consumer transaction into our wholesale transaction. So as a consumer, when you buy a package, whether it's online or whether you go into a store to buy it, you you get this one-on-one interaction with the salesperson. You get a thank you card if it's a big ticket purchase. You get a really nice bag that you can walk out the store with or you get a nice box if you order online. And we built as many of those aspects as we could into our transaction. So to this day, when our wholesale customers buy from us, not only does their order get picked and packed and processed quicker than any of our competitors, but it's presented better than any of our competitors. It, it, it comes well packaged in a box that's well thought out, often depending on the transaction, if it's a new customer or if it's a anniversary transaction or if it's a special order, we'll include a gift card or a free T-shirt or a cap or some stickers or something that adds value to the person that receives that order. And during that entire order process, we try and communicate with the customer as much as possible, which is another thing that we learned selling directly to consumers is often your consumers who are buying from your e-commerce store and will be their first time transacting with you. So they're nervous, naturally. They're not sure of the legitimacy of your store they're uncertain about how long it takes to get orders out to them. Once the order ships, they're uncertain about how to go about tracking and tracing that order and how the delivery process works. So we took everything we learned from those hundreds of thousands of questions we got when we were selling consumers and plugged in an entire series of communication that goes out to our customers who are now repeat wholesale customers. So 
we're literally communicating with them every step of the way. When they're on our store, we've got a chat plugin, so we're able to give them live chat support. They are able to reach us by a phone. They can email orders to us. We've also got outside sales reps. So there's, there's multiple ways in which they can interact with us prior to making the order. Once they have made the order, they get communication from us as to the status of that. So, you know, we're packing your order. It's in dispatch. FedEx have collected your order. Here's your tracking number. It's gone out on an overnight service or a three-day road service. All of those questions that may arise, we answer immediately. And I think when you look at that entire process and that package and experience we put together, that's one of the biggest things that sets us apart from our competitors. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think uh, it, you need to do differently then when it comes to marketing if you're solely focused now on just the wholesale business? How does that change your marketing strategy? Well, that's the most, that's actually the, the most challenging thing for us is that largely we need to work on our marketing from two ends. So internally, we're selling to retail stores. So we have to be reaching out and marketing to them all the time. But what we're selling to those retail stores is less focused on this is the product we're selling and more focused on this is the service we're selling. So our marketing to our our immediate customers, being the retail stores, is more about the fact that we're selling them a business that can offer them a great range of products at competitive prices and give them this great level of service. And a lot of that communication comes face-to-face and with, with interaction with those customers. But from the other side, we need to reach over that gap and also market to the end users who we want to go into those retail stores and ask for our products and not only ask for them and request them, but purchase them. So we also are faced with this challenge where we need to create awareness and demand for the products that we sell and the brands that we represent. And that is a completely different approach and it is perhaps more traditional marketing, mm-hmm. whether it's print media, online, uh, sponsorship and, and promotion through events, or uh, there's a, obviously a lot of athletes in, involved in the products that we sell. So we have various methods there of, of creating this awareness and demand for those products. And to, to manage all of this that, that you're doing, are there any specific apps or tools that you guys rely on to help you run the business? No. I, I must say that's something that I've really struggled to find a solution to other than learning as we go. Um, because it's not a traditional business model, there's very little out there in terms of apps that help run and manage and report on the ROI that you're getting, whether it's interacting with your stores or spending dollars on pay-per-click advertising. So that has been something that I, I really just put down to experience. And we are by no means experts in that at the moment, but we are certainly learning more and more about it every day and as we do so we, we're trying to improve mm-hmm. so how successful is a business today and you know share anything you're comfortable sharing with the audience today we'll average between 50 and 200 packages a day depending on the time of the year and our, our growth rate since we started to focus 100% on the wholesale act aspect of the business 
our growth rate has been exponential. You know, we've we've been experiencing hundred to two hundred percent growth year on year for the last three years running. Um, because what we are essentially building is a conduit to run product through. Mm-hmm. So the growth of our business now really depends more on the number of SKUs and products that we add to our product line. Um, the, the more products we can give our customers choice to buy from us, the, the more we can increase our revenue. Um, but we we working daily to not only add those products, but also manage the growth. I think that's that's perhaps one of the biggest challenges we we face currently. Mm, makes sense. So, you know, what's in uh, store for the future? What what are the plans for for the remainder of this year? What kind of goals do you want to hit? I I think for us, the next step in our business is to start establishing brands that we own, and the reason for that is it it much the same as the choice I made when I started Rush Sports gives us control over our own destiny. So rather than establishing and creating demand for someone else's brand in your territory, we invest certainly far more time and far more capital, but we create our own brand and our own product. So that has been a new project that we started and launched about five weeks ago, um, or as recently as five weeks ago. And I think for the next certainly for the next 24 to 36 months that is going to be consuming a large amount of our our time and focus is building that product range and treating it much the same as the other brands that we distribute, creating awareness for it, creating demand for it, and doing the same market research as we do to find or that we've done in the past to find new suppliers and new brands, we're now doing that market research to find opportunities to develop our own products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally makes sense. So, you know, thanks so much, Andre. I think that that was super helpful, especially for anybody that wants to get more into wholesale or maybe even considering going the route you took, which is to go wholesale only. Um, so, you know, the website is uh, rushsports.co.za. That's R-U-S-H-S-P-O-R-T-S. Ts.co.za. Anywhere else that you recommend the listeners uh, check out to, they want to follow along with your brand or just like your your journey. Yeah, Felix. On our website that you just mentioned, we have obviously links to all of our social media and our news blogs. We are quite active on social media, especially Instagram at the moment. We we find that our users have far more interaction on Instagram. But I would encourage anyone to check us out and, and catch up with us there. And by all means, feel free to reach out to us and ask if they've got any questions. Awesome. Thanks so much, Andre. Felix, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.